0: From Revelation nine, the fifth angel sounded his trumpet, and I saw a star that has fallen from the sky to the earth. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss when he opened when he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like the smoke from a gigantic furnace. The sun and sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss, and out of the smoke locusts came down and on um, on the earth and were given power like the scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any of the plant or tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were not allowed to kill them, but only to torture them for five months. And the agony they suffered was like that of the sting of the scorpion when it strikes. During those days, people will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will elude them. The locusts looked like horses prepared for battle. On their heads they wore something like crowns of gold and their faces resembled human faces. Their hair was like women's hair and their teeth were like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron and the sound of their wing was like the thundering of many horses and chariots rushing into battle. They had tails with stingers like scorpions and their tails had power to torment people for five months. They had as king over them, the angel of the abyss, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon and in Greek is Apollyon, that is destroyer. The first woe is past. Two other woes are yet to come. The sixth angel sounded his trumpet and I heard a voice coming from the four Horns of the golden altar that is before God. It said to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. And the four angels who had been kept ready for, for this hour and day and months and year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. The horses and riders I saw in my vision looked like this. Their brace were fiery red, dark blue, and yellow as sulfur. The heads of the horses resembled the heads of lions, and out of their mouth came fire, smoke, and sulfur. A third of the mankind was killed by the three plagues of fire, smoke and sulfur uh, that came out of their mouths. The power of the horses was in their mouth and in their tails, For their tails were like snakes, having heads with which they inflict injury. The rest of mankind, who were not killed by these plagues, still did not repent of their work of their hands. They did not stop worshipping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone and wood. Idols that cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murderers, um, their magic magic
1: arts, their sexual morality, and their thefts. I'm going to start off with a story that I don't think I've told anyone before. One of the most memorable but worst experiences that I've had in my life occurred in the garage of a friend's house. I can't really remember why we went into the garage and there wasn't much in there. But as we were about to leave that location, I felt something crawling up my leg. Whatever it was, it felt fairly big. But the problem was I had long, rather tight fitting trousers on. So I couldn't see what it was that was crawling up my leg. It had reached my thigh and I could see a bulge in my trousers where the object was. I was terrified not knowing what it was. Was it a spider or a super-sized insect? I definitely didn't want it crawling any further up my leg. So I decided to grab the bulge and use all of my strength to squash it while trying my best to keep it away from my leg just in case it tried to bite me. I still remember it kind of squashing in my hands. After applying enough force for enough time, I let go of the object and I had to shake my leg for it to fall out of my trousers. Guess what it was? It was a super-sized grasshopper. As I saw it mangled but still intact, lying on the ground, it was grotesque. It was a true creepy crawly one that had been creeping and crawling up my leg. I still shudder whenever I think about that experience. Locusts are relatively harmless when they're small or few in number. But when they become big or numerous, it's a different story. I hope you never, ever have an experience like I did with that locust crawling up my leg. It was one of the most terrifying few seconds of my life, not knowing what that object was. It's scary then to realise that when the fifth angel blows his trumpet, according to the first half of Revelation chapter 9, an army of locust-like demons are going to be released upon the earth. When John heard the fifth angel blow his trumpet, he saw a star, From heaven that had fallen to the earth. Now, stars in the book of Revelation often symbolize angels or demons. And being fallen, this seems to indicate a demon who is given control of the shaft of the abyss. An abyss is basically a bottomless pit. And the abyss is used in the Bible as a picture of hell. And the demon who controls, the demonic forces that come forth from hell, I reckon that this is probably none other than Satan. So in verse 2 here, we see Satan releasing a massive cloud of locusts onto the earth. And these locusts have the ability to sting like scorpions. The fact that these locusts don't harm the grass or the plants or the trees suggests that these are not literal locusts. Instead, just as an invading army can be described as a plague of locusts, here we have an army of demons sent forth against the earth. And their target is the people who don't have the seal of God upon their foreheads. This is a reference back to Revelation 7, verse 3, which itself recalls Ezekiel chapter 9, where we see God's people being marked on their foreheads as a sign of protection from the judgments that were going to come. My assumption is that Satan's plan was actually to target the whole of humanity. But the fact that God's people had been marked with a protective seal means that this particular judgment will not affect them the demons were allowed to torture the non-believing population of the world for five months with pain akin to the pain caused by a scorpion sting. It's hard to know whether the five months here is a literal or a symbolic number, although it does seem to correspond with what we know of the lifespan for an adult locust, which can be anything from three to a maximum of five months. However we take it, five months is a long time to be in agony. So five months is most likely meant to indicate that this will be a time of agony that will be suffered by unbelievers for a relatively long but limited period of time. In fact, the pain will be so severe that people will long to die as a means of release from their suffering. But sadly for them, this option will not be possible. Verses 7 to 11 focus on the terrifying description of these demons. They looked like horses prepared for battle. But there was also something royal about them. They had gold-like crowns upon their heads, and their faces looked like human faces. Their hair was long, like women's hair. In John's day, soldiers with long hair would recall the hairstyle of the barbarian armies that threatened the Roman Empire. These locust-like demons wore armour like soldiers, and as they flew, they sounded like the chariots of many horses charging into battle. Their teeth were like lion's teeth, which is symbolic of destruction, and their tails had stingers like scorpions. Verse 11 tells us that they had a king over them. And this king is none other than the angel who had fallen down from heaven into the abyss. And he's given two names, Abaddon and Apollyon. Abaddon in Hebrew means destruction. It's used a number of times in the Old Testament as the name for the underworld or the place of the dead. The other name, Apollyon, in Greek, has a similar meaning. It means destroyer. And friends, this is who Satan is. Ever since he found out that God's plan was for the glorification of humanity, Satan has sought to prevent God's blessing from being experienced by human beings. Satan wants to wreck God's plan for blessing. He wants to destroy humanity. He wants to take us down. Now this demon plague is the first woe, which leads to other woes to come, as the sixth and seventh trumpets are sounded. It's horrible to think about a demonic invasion of the world, but believers can be assured that we will be protected from this particular attack. What about then the sixth trumpet blast? When the sixth angel blew his trumpet, John heard a voice coming from near the golden altar before God. This seems to be the voice of the angel who had been offering up the incense on the altar, symbolising the prayers of God's people. He told the sixth angel to release the four angels who had been restrained at the river Euphrates. These are the angels recorded at the start of chapter 7 who had been told to wait until God's people had been sealed with the mark on their foreheads. Finally, the time has come for the angels to punish the earth. Verse 15 tells us that these angels had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year. It's all quite precise, isn't it? God knows the exact time frame, but this particular judgment would be the worst to come upon the world so far. As a result of this judgment, a third of the human race would be killed. How will this happen? Well, we're given the details in verses 16 through to 19. John hears a number mentioned. 20,000 times 10,000, which equates to 200 million. This is the number of mounted soldiers involved, which is a massive number when it comes to warfare. If these soldiers are to be taken as human soldiers rather than just angelic soldiers, it suggests war on a worldwide scale. To give you some comparisons here, in terms of the number of soldiers, take World War II and double it. In terms of the number of people killed, take World War II and times it by 10. This is worldwide death and destruction on a massive scale. John saw that the horses had heads like the heads of lions and fire and smoke and sulphur spewed forth from their mouths, matching the red, blue and yellow armour of the soldiers on the horses. The fire, smoke and sulphur is spoken of in verse 18 as being three plagues that will kill around a third of the human population of the planet. Fire, smoke and sulphur, they're normally associated with volcanoes but here we see volcanic-like activity emanating from the mouths of the horses being ridden by these soldiers. And not just their mouths, but their tails look like multi-headed serpents that cause harm as well. I kind of wonder with this description of volcanic-like military-type activity, is this possibly a picture of nuclear war? I guess we'll have to wait and see, but it sounds absolutely catastrophic and absolutely terrifying. But please notice the purpose of this disaster. Sure, in part, it's punishment, but God also allows this to happen as a warning. We can see this in verses 20 and 21. It says, the remainder of the people who had not been killed by these plagues, didn't repent of the work of their hands so that they might not worship demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor move. And they didn't repent of their murders or their magic or their acts of sexual immorality or their thefts. Friends, God isn't pleased when humans engage in the worship of demons or idols. Or when we commit murder, engage in the occult, commit sexual sin, or steal from others. Because of human rebellion against God, punishment is coming. But even when it does in the final days, God's mercy will still be operative. Up till the end, the chance to repent will still be available. But sadly, few, if any, Will take up the opportunity. Friends, all in all, I believe that this chapter is warning us that before the time of the end, there'll be a demonic invasion and large scale military type devastation. I acknowledge that this is all rather scary to think about, but please notice in the midst of these judgments, God is still in control. He knows the hour, he knows the day, he knows the month, he knows the years when it comes to these things. God is in control and he is still merciful. In terms of being in control, also notice how the demons, they must act in accordance with God's timetable. And in addition, we see them here, they can only operate within the sphere of power that God has allowed them to exercise. In terms of God's mercy, notice how God will protect his people from demonic attack. And even as these judgments are happening, God is still giving people the opportunity to repent. So, in troubling times, and particularly when chaos and death increase in severity, please remember God is in control and he continues to show mercy to those. Return to him. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, we thank you that today we've had the opportunity to continue our series in the book of Revelation. We acknowledge that this is a book which is difficult to understand because it has elements of literal things as well as symbolic things. But Lord, as we read these things, we thank you that you do give us insight into your purposes for this world and how we as your people need to respond and be ready for what is to come. And the picture that you have given us today through Revelation 9 is a scary picture. We see a picture of demonic attack. We also see a picture of death happening on a tragic scale worldwide. Lord God, in the midst of these things, we do have at times, wonder, and we do feel scared. But, Lord, we thank you that today you have reminded us of the fact that you will protect your people. You have marked us with your seal. You'll watch over us. And even, Lord, if we do get caught up in some of the chaos and the destruction to come, Lord, we know that we can always trust in you and that your positive purposes for us will not be defeated. We also pray for our world, Lord God, because part of the message that we've seen today is that some of these disasters, they come in order to provoke people to turn back to you. And so, Lord, we pray for our world. In particular, as this COVID virus has been happening, we ask, Lord, that people would be able to reflect upon life and to see that there is more, to life than just doing what we want to do, chasing after wealth or fame or whatever it may be. Lord, there's a bigger picture here and we need to understand it. And we thank you that the book of Revelation can play a great role in helping us to understand something of this bigger picture. And so, Lord God, we thank you. We thank you that you are in control and that you are merciful. And, Lord, we throw ourselves down before you in worship and calling upon you to continue to have mercy. Have mercy upon us, Lord. Please protect us. And we ask that you continue to work out your purposes for this world, for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.
2: All right, so um, now it's time for Q&A. Got nothing so
1: fast, Steve? No questions? Maybe i've got a question for people out there i started off telling you the story of but that big it was massive i tell you what that massive <laughs> locust crawling up my leg i didn't it was the fear of not knowing what it was when it was crawling yeah. my leg but has anyone had a similar experience like that if so let us know yeah anyone i guess sure. people have probably been attacked by insects before but uh, the scary thing for me was I—I I didn't know what it was, right? Just see this bulge yeah. coming up your trouser leg. So, uh, yeah. And then the look of the thing was so ugly. I tell <laughs> Oh, so, uh, John! John's image here, like that he paints here in Revelation nine, is definitely um, meant to scare us. I think. Just think yeah, about sure. a massive locust. And I did actually look up. I, I did look up to find out what's the. Um, the uh, biggest type of locust that occurs in Australia and it does actually, it can live in Sydney as well. So really? I was thinking, but I'm telling you, it must've been like, what it's over 10 centimeters. Let's put it that way. It was oh. big.
2: Whereabouts was this? area?
1: Ah, it was actually in Wentworthville where it oh. happened. The garage wow. was in Wentworthville. So anyone around the Parramatta area, that might be Brendan and Lauren there, be careful. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, um, one of the Padlet comments was that it was a very clear sermon, but we have had a few questions come in since then. Um, so we'll st- I think Brendan's one came in first. So it was uh, when when we when we will be protected by God, does it mean we won't suffer at all? Or will it be less suffering than the non-believers? Yeah, that's a pretty good one.
1: Yeah, I think what's happening here, like at least in Revelation 9, it does seem that the demonic attack, which is the the first disaster which happens here, that believers are going to be protected from that. And that makes sense because if it's a demonic attack, then you would think that, you know, uh, God will protect his people from actual kind of maybe physical or spiritual attack by demons. I'm um, Sure, they can try to attack us, but in the end, if we have God's spirit within us, God's spirit will make sure that the demons can't uh, attack us or affect us. Um, directly. right? Um, So I think that one, it's suggesting that believers who will be around at that time, they've actually been marked out by God, they're protected by God, so they won't be affected by that. The one about the uh, third of humanity dying, though, there's no real indication there that believers are going to be exempt from that. So it's a little bit like, I think, what we see in the world today, uh, even with the COVID situation. We know Christian believers who have gotten sick as a result of that, and perhaps even some may have died. I don't know, but I imagine maybe some have. So uh, Christians can get affected by just the general judgments, you could say, or the general disasters which come upon humanity. And so I think there will be, to some extent, Christians living at that time will be affected by these things. Although, in terms of actual demon attack, direct demon attack, believe is what we've taken at that point Uh, i noticed there that jerica had a question too about something to do with a rapture is that right
2: yeah so she's uh she's uh, she's put a few posts there so for example she's got um will the people be raptured first or will everyone face the end times um and then she adds to that do believers get raptured straight away and non-believers are left to fight it out um How would a people of ancient... Oh, actually, we'll back again.
1: Yeah, you go. Yeah, it's interesting because it does affect the question we was just asked just then. Uh, There is a concept that some Christians have more on the Pentecostal side of Christianity, this idea of a rapture. Mm. By that, they believe that when it's at the end times of the end times, you know, the final days, uh, when these kinds of birth pains and disasters come upon the world, that Christians will be taken up out of the world and won't have to experience these things. Uh, I personally don't follow that view. Uh, I don't think that that's a proper interpretation of passages which come from the Gospels concerning a rapture. And it's hard to see, too, like when you read through Revelation here, it does talk about Christians being protected, but the Christians are still, well, why are they being protected? Because they're still on earth at this moment in time. So where does the rapture actually happen here in the book of Revelation? I don't see any clear passages which talk about a rapture here. So the idea does seem to be, and and Jesus does talk about this too, that uh, when the end times come, and he did use uh, in the Gospels, there is this uh, time when Jerusalem was going to be attacked by the Romans, which happened in AD 70, so the year 70. And this is used as a kind of picture of sort of similar to what's going to happen at the, the end of human history. And Jesus talks about uh, believers at that time uh, pray that it doesn't happen on the Sabbath, pray doesn't happen in winter. Um, believers are going to be around as these things are happening and um, Jesus is actually warning them to be careful and to, in a sense, make preparation and to keep praying for when that happens, that it might be as easy upon the believers as possible when these things are happening. Uh, But believers are going to get caught up in these things. So uh, my personal view would be that, yeah, there isn't something that is called a rapture where Christians all of a sudden just disappear and the world is left with just unbelievers in it. Um, There's always going to be believers. There's always going to be a church on earth. And uh, as we go through Revelation, it'll be one thing to keep an eye out. Does it ever talk about a rapture? I personally can't see it here in the book of Revelation.
2: Um, I'll quickly uh, give you this question for Padlet because um, it came pretty early on as well. So and we'll come back to the Zoom questions. Um, uh, interesting that nowadays it's harder to stay close to God. How are some practical ways to stay close to God? I find it hard to stay focused when reading the Bible for Padlet.
1: What was that first bit, sorry? Um, Oh, so
2: interesting that nowadays it's harder to stay close to God and how how are some practical ways to stay close to God?
1: Okay, is it harder to stay closer to God just because of the kind of world we're living in at the moment with the COVID situation? Is that what it's getting
0: Uh, at? It could possibly be that or
1: also (laughs) one other thing that does affect us a lot, I think, is just the kind of online digital presence that can easily get in the way of um, staying close to God. You know, we can use all of these technological devices. Actually, if you're doing the right thing, I would say, hey, what about your Bible app, you know? Maybe you've got a sermon app or podcast you can listen to or Christian friends that you can engage with or similar to what we're doing here. You know, we've got HPCC Facebook page. We can go online to meet together. Using the technological devices to get Christian input All right. What I would say basically, the key to life is for us to be strong in the faith, is we need God's word in our hearts. And so, therefore, more and more of God's truth in our hearts that needs to be happening every day. So, at least on a daily basis, I would say to people, all right, think about what can you do that at least on a daily basis you're getting some input of Christian truth. Right. Where are you getting that from? Well, it may be through reading the Bible yourself. It may be just having a Christian friend that you can meet up with once a week or whatever it may be. It may be by listening to a sermon online or reading Christian book or even just listening to Christian music. You know, availability of uh, videos that you can watch on YouTube and so on. It's amazing, really. And you can easily be inspired just by turning on and listening to 10 minutes of Christian songs. So use all of this, I would say, to just get this Christian input on a daily basis. Um, It's a little bit like, I would say, learning a language. I say to students who are learning Hebrew, whatever it may be, a little bit each day over a long period of time, right? You know, there are some students who leave it all, you know, cramming for the exams right to the end. Yeah. That doesn't really work if you're learning a language, say. You need a little bit each day over a long period of time. Same thing in the Christian life. You know, even if it's just five or ten minutes each day, that's a lot better than, say, you know two hours on a Sunday when we go to church, even though that can have some role. But what we want to see is daily basis, more and more of God's truth, God's word coming in, because as God's truth comes in, it affects how we think, it affects our mindset, and it helps us to be able to deal with the things that life throws at us. And there's a lot happening. You know, even what we just prayed about in terms of people being affected mentally by the COVID situation. I was thinking, well, why is that? Why are people struggling here? Um, surely we should be able to cope with these kinds of things. Well, we can't cope often if we're just left to our own resources. But if we have God's word shaping us, guiding us, giving us a bigger picture view of things, knowing how we can trust in God and bring out anxieties and cares before him. All of this can give us a a mindset which helps us to be able to cope with the things that life throws at us. So having God's truth in our lives and growing in our understanding of that on a daily basis is really important.
2: Fair points, fair points. Um, So back hopefully, uh, yeah, they said thank you who asked the the question. so um, great answer. Moving back to the Zoom question, so Jerrika had a follow up regarding how will people, for example, of ancient China, be judged as they've never heard about the Gospel and and God? So like, as in people in the like Ming and Tang dynasty back in those days.
1: Yeah. Ah. Uh- I say God is fair, right? God is fair. Uh, He knows what revelation he has given to particular people. And I would say that from a biblical perspective, the Bible says that everyone has been given a particular revelation by God. Even if it's not hearing the gospel, say, it's just by virtue of the fact that there's creation out there. Obviously, when you look at the created order, you see this world, people think someone's made this. And so, for example, like I remember when I was in Vietnam, you go out in the countryside in Vietnam and you have... People who have an altar out the front of their place, they all fruit on it, you know, bananas, oranges, whatever it may be, but what are they doing? They're actually worshipping the God of heaven. They haven't necessarily heard the gospel, right? But there's some knowledge on their part that heaven, God, he's made this and there needs to be some kind of worship of him. Now, how they're worshipping him is probably not... Uh, sufficient in terms of a biblical point of view. You know, they think that somehow just by offering bananas or oranges that that's the end of their obligation to, to heaven or to God. But what I'm saying basically is everyone has been given a particular revelation from God. Some have been given more than others, but people will be judged in accordance with the revelation that they've been given. And the Bible will say, however, that without the gospel, it's unlikely that people are going to be responding in the right way. Uh, ordinary revelation through creation and so on, people have become almost like immune to that, probably a little bit unresponsive. Uh, so we need particular revelation and that's what comes through the gospel. And it's only through this particular revelation that we get people responding. In addition to that, I would also say that in God's plan, um, There are some people who say who the number of people who have lived on earth actually who are alive on earth today exceeds the total population of the whole of the human race from history beforehand up until now. I don't think that's quite right, but it is getting close to something that is the truth, which is, it's interesting that in God's purposes, that when the world is full of people, that's when Jesus comes and the gospel is being made known. All right, so in other words, if you think about people back two thousand plus years ago, the world population back then wasn't that much. All right. The population explosions really only happened in the last 100, 150 years. That's the time when the gospel is going out. So God has also timed things this way so that when the most number of people are living on this world, that's also when the gospel can be heard..
2: Yeah, um, and I think we've just got, yeah, final question. So um, why does God allow the people without the seal of God on their forehead to be punished?
1: So I broke up a little bit at the end there. Why does God allow the people who have...
2: Oh, so why does God allow the people without the seal of God on their forehead to be punished?
1: Yeah, I couldn't really hear that one, but I'm assuming that. Oh. I'm not sure if it was the ones who have the mark. Are being punished or are not oh, being punished?
2: Without without the seal of God being
1: punished. Ah, uh, Without the seal of God to be punished. Well, uh, this goes back to Revelation 7. If you have a look at Revelation 7, you've got the 144,000 who have been sealed. I think John did the sermon on that one. And the 144,000 who have been sealed, it can be viewed as the people of God throughout the church age, although in terms of what we've seen so far, it may be in particular the people, you know, those of the Christian church who are going to go through the end times, Uh, they've been sealed and they've been protected. Uh, They're believers, they're viewed as uh, those who worship and serve God. And so the seal, you could say, it's a bit like having the Holy Spirit, isn't it? Um, God's Holy Spirit does help to protect his people. So, Uh, I think it's just a function of the fact that there are some people who are believers and some people who aren't. So those who are believers, we've obviously got some benefits in believing. One of those is being protected from demonic attack. Those who are not believers, who do not have the spirit of God, are open to whatever demons might attack them.
2: Okay. Um, And just one clarification regarding um, what you said in the, uh, before. Um, he was, someone was a bit confused about God judging based on the revelation revealed to the people. Maybe could yeah. you break that down a bit more?
1: Okay, so God only judges people in accordance with what they know. All right, so the Bible does indicate if you have been given much, much will be asked of you. Okay, so in other words, a person who has not heard the gospel but who rejects God will be judged less severely than a person who has heard the gospel but who has rejected it, okay? So the Bible does indicate that when it comes to like the day of judgment, God as a just judge, he will determine people's punishments in a just way. So even though you might say, okay, anyone who's rejected God there the Bible says they're going to go to hell, well that's true. But the Bible does seem to indicate that even within hell there are degrees of punishment, if you want to put it that way. Okay, it's a little bit like being I guess if you picture hell as being like a fiery place. Maybe in the center of hell it's a bit more fiery than at the edges. Those who are placed in the center are going to be a lot worse off than those Around the edges, if you want to put it that way. Now, don't hear me wrong here. I'm not saying that some people enjoy hell. That's not true, right? No one wants to go there, and anyone who's there will not enjoy it. But there's greater punishment reserved for those who deserve it. And that's just a function of God's justice, you know. And when people go before a court, there are different measures of sentence that they might be given, different punishments that they might be given. Same thing is going to happen in terms of the day of judgment. Uh, in terms of blessing, even when it comes to blessing, there are also differences in the level of blessing as well. Jesus does talk about someone who gets to sit at his right and his left-hand side, right? And, in fact, the disciples are fighting over, okay, who's going to get in the best position? Jesus doesn't say, oh, no, there's no best position. Everyone's the same. Jesus doesn't say that. He actually says, well, it's not, it's not for them to fight about, and it's up to God to decide who gets the best positions, right? A similar thing. Anyone who's in heaven will enjoy it. Anyone who's there, even if at the edge, you're going to be rejoicing and thinking this is the best ever. But there are some people who will, I think ultimately what it's a function of is, is they're going to get to interact with Jesus a little bit more than the others, right? All of us there, we're going to interact with Jesus. But there'll be some who get to talk to him a little bit more. But over time, as eternity goes on, What are these differences they end up being almost like nothing over time right but there are still some people who will be there at his right and at his left there'll be some at his back some you know three seats away whatever it may be Mm. so there are degrees this is what's called a doctrine of degrees of blessing and woe okay so knowing that that exists does help us then to be able to see that god will judge people according to the revelation that they've been given those who have been given much, much of them will be required. If they reject God in that situation, their punishment will be a lot worse than, say, those who lived in ancient China who didn't really have much of a revelation, even though they did have some.
2: Hopefully that clarifies it for that person. Um, there's still a few that's coming in, so we'll, we'll tackle those. Um, so Jericho had one. Is the RFID chip uh, believed to be the SEAL uh, 666?
1: Well, I think we'll probably have to wait till we get to that chapter when it talks about yeah. 666, all right? But all I can say is, well, I think God's number is 777, according to the Book of Revelation, right? So what's 666? I think it's probably more symbolic than anything else. And uh, what we'll see as we'll go through is I think the Bible is saying at just before um, Jesus returns, uh, there will be a particular person who is the Antichrist and so on. So as we look at those passages, that... 666 is obviously going to be associated or it's symbolic of the Antichrist. Yeah. Also, just uh, something else that came to my mind in relation to the rapture. In uh, 1 Thessalonians, Jesus does talk about people, believers, who are still alive when he returns and they're actually on earth. So that also goes against this one Thessalonians four. Yeah, Jesus talks about those who have died who will come with Jesus to meet with those who are on earth who'll be lifted up to be together with him. So that seems to suggest that there will be believers who are on the earth when Jesus comes again. So that argues against this idea of a rapture.
2: Um, so yeah uh I guess we'll tackle
1: that in more depth at a later date. Yeah, Yeah, it's a tricky book, but there's a lot of good stuff that we can think about as we go through. For sure, for sure. Um, So another one
2: is, how about God's chosen people versus those who have not heard the gospel and predestination? Um, I'm not sure if these... So there's two things. I don't know if that's the full question. There's one, can you elaborate on the degrees of blessing? So the...
1: Okay, my best illustration, for degrees of blessing, right, my best illustration is this. Um, Imagine going to a concert somewhere, okay? The star attraction on the night, it's Jesus. He's like the, the star who's there on the stage. But in this concert hall, not everyone can be seated in the front row right? Just because of geometry, the physicality of our bodies, we can't all be in the one place. Okay? Just like in a a concert hall. There'll be some people who are up the front. There are some people in row two. There are some people in row three. There are some people who are all the way up the back in what they call the nosebleeds, right? (laughs) You know, it's up so high, you're so far back. person that you're looking at looks so small and tiny, looks like an ant, say, but the thing is, in the concert hall room of heaven, you don't just get to sit up the back and that's all, right? There'll be interaction. There will be like, you'll get this time to go down the front or even Jesus, he'll be walking around the concert hall as well. But most of the time, he's going to be on the stage there. Most of the time, he's going to be in sitting on his throne in Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem, if you want to put it that way. And around him... Is going to be masses and crowds of people. Okay. But not everyone can be up the front. Mm. That's my best illustration for this idea of degrees of blessing. And I think in the end, what it comes down to is who gets to interact with Jesus more. All right. Mm. You might say, okay, I get three minutes of direct interaction, personal talking with Jesus a day. The other person might only get three seconds. All right. There's a little bit of a difference. But when you factor in eternity, what are these differences really? You know, in the end, my three seconds, will catch up to that person's three minutes, in a sense, although eternity will continue on, you know, and so they'll still be ahead. But we're, in a sense, catching up with each other. So there are degrees of blessing in that sense, okay? That's just a function of, and it goes back to, think about the parable of the talents. Jesus does talk about the person who's been given much. Um, who is faithful with that will be given more in terms of responsibility, uh, interaction with Jesus, just in terms of, you know, the, the new world to come. I do believe there will be areas of responsibility that are actually given to us. We have this area of the world that's actually our zone that Jesus wants us to look after and care for, whatever it may be. You know, all of that is part of this um, organization of the new creation that god has in store we'll have to ultimately wait and see what it's like but just as there are degrees of punishment in hell there are also degrees of blessing in heaven as well yep. but everyone who's in heaven will be enjoying it and no one will be complaining
2: yeah so yeah um i think this but That, that probably, makes sense yeah yeah I oh, think, no, we don't
1: really talk about it but it is actually mm. a, a biblical doctrine mm. yeah there are uh, if if people are interested, I can give a list of passages which, which are relevant to this.
2: Yeah, so I guess because I think the same person followed up was, is there a way to be in the front row or it doesn't really matter
1: at the <laughs> well, end of the day? Well, no, I would say the Bible actually does encourage us. The Bible does actually encourage us to to progress in godliness and one of the things is that when we're standing there on the day of judgment before our lord sure there'll be things that we're ashamed of but there will be a difference between those in a sense who have sacrificed a lot and sacrificed their lives for jesus compared to you know the believer who's in a sense just scraped in now paul does talk about there are some people who just scrape in as if through fire in other words Someone's just made it into heaven, but it's like they've, they've been singed on the way in, you know? So um, the Bible would much more encourage us to make good use of the resources and the abilities and the skills that God has given us here on earth because it does have an impact on, in a sense, our position in heaven, right? The Bible does talk that way. So, And it's actually there as an encouragement for us, humbly, and dependent upon God's grace and mercy, dependent upon his spirit to make progress while we're here on earth. Mm. Because how we use the gifts that God has given us here and now, will also be reflected to some extent in the world to come.
2: Yeah. It's interesting yeah. to think about. Yeah, for sure. Well, look, um, I think we'll wrap it up there. There's a few final statements. Um, I'm not sure if they're actually questions. Um, that's come from Padlet. Uh, the last two comments were just uh, the blessing question is my question to go with God's chosen people. I'm not too sure what that sort of means there. And somebody said yeah. God's chosen well, i to say God- on that one
1: is, in a sense, God has already chosen. God knows who's going to be on the at the right hand, at the left hand, who's going to be row one, row two, and so on. Mm. And he sends them the revelation, he also moves them through his spirit. All right? So in a sense, yes, God has planned all of that. He knows all of that. But that doesn't take away from our own personal responsibility to do what we can to be as faithful and as godly as we can in the power that God gives us through his spirit and word to keep on serving God. Uh, God says, you know, the labours that we have in the Lord now will not be in vain. Okay. So to some extent, you know, how we respond to God here and now, it will be reflected in in the world to come. So, yeah. Okay
0: that mm-hmm. god knows all
1: of that it's in his control but at the same time we have personal responsibility for how we respond to god in here and now
2: well look um i think we'll wrap it up there